0: Request for Commits, a podcast that explores different perspectives in open source sustainability. On this show, we talk to people about the human side of code. We cover everything from community and governance to businesses and licensing. If you've ever wondered how open source projects get started, survive, die, or flourish, then you're going to love this show. I'm Nadia Ekba.
1: And I'm Michael Rogers.
0: On today's show, Michael and I talk with David Kramer, CEO of Sentry, and Isaac Schluter, CEO of NPM. Sentry is a developer tool for detecting application errors, and NPM is the default package manager for Node.js. Both started as open source projects, which David and Isaac have built into businesses.
1: Our focus on today's episode with David and Isaac was around building businesses in open source. We talked about why they decided to turn their side projects into full-time work and how they experimented with finding steady sources of revenue.
0: We also talked about raising venture capital, working with investors and with community, and different company approaches to developing open source projects. So let's get into the history of Century and NPM before we get started. Uh, Both of you have pretty interesting backgrounds on how you built these businesses over a number of years century, David, I know that it started as a project that you built for work when you were at Discuss. Um, and then it seemed like it was like this side project, even while I was making money for years. Um, and then it only went full-time a couple of years ago. And you recently announced that you raised some venture capital. So in some ways it seemed just from reading about it, that you were reluctant to turn it into a full-time business. Can you tell us a little bit about that evolution from going from a work project to a side project to a full-time thing? Um and why you decided to double down on, on Century.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh Century is pretty old. Um it's about eight years, I think, at this point. It kind of came in uh, when I joined Discuss, they were using what eventually turned into Century, a terrible piece of code. Um, and so my first month there we kind of like revamped it, brought it up to like speed, I guess, with the the quality that we needed. Um and then kind of built it over the next couple of years. During that time it started gaining traction and I guess you know, one thing that always fascinated me me with open source was you can kind of share results with the world. They provide feedback. The communities are very interactive and that traction kind of led to us continuing to build it. Um, and that meant things like adding more support for other languages, for other platforms, honestly, just adding things that we never needed ourselves at discuss. And then, um, fast forward a few years, we had, a. Built a little SaaS service on top of it. It was making a little bit of money. Uh, The running joke when I kicked it off was uh, it might cover beers. So, not a lot Mm -hmm. of ambition there. Um, And here we are, about four and a half years since that day. Um, We decided to go full time last year um, at the start of the year. So, it's been about a year and a half. And the decision for us was we had a significant number of paying customers and it was really, really hard to have two jobs. So, we had a decision to make. It was either sort of, you know, let Sentry kind of crumble or take it to the next level. And one of the forcing factors for us was just in the last few years, there's been a huge amount of competition up here in our space. And um, anybody who knows me uh, knows that I'm not one to kind of let somebody step in and kind of take over whatever I've been doing. Um, So we really risked like Sentry becoming obsolete if we didn't double down on it at the time. And then, you know, that That also is kind of a lot of the reason we went down the venture capital route, um, just to continue to compete and and do well. But yeah, happy to dive into more specifics if need be.
0: I'm wondering why you were so reluctant to just go full time on it from the start when tons of people were using it, big companies were using it, and people were paying for it. Why did it take so long to actually go full time on it?
2: Uh, I'm fairly risk adverse. So... I did not go full time on Century until we were able to match salaries. Um and I was working at Dropbox before. Dropbox pays fairly well. So there's a little bit of that. Uh, it's also just you know we didn't really want to go down the the venture capital route. It just I, honestly, it just wasn't interesting to us. It's a very different kind of company at that stage. Um, our goals now are very, very different than our goals were a couple years ago, but it's it is what it is.
1: At any time did the project kind of suffer from you know not having that kind of support? Uh,
2: I would say uh, like absolutely over the course of the like uh, the years where it was purely a side project, um, I was building a lot of things at Dropbox kind of during the the prime of century's life, and juggling the, uh, like those two like full-time gigs was really hard. So what it meant is like century like the iteration speed was greatly reduced. That's kind of fixed today, but it took us a good year to really. Like build up that momentum to to like start shipping things very aggressively again, um, and that was just because of the balance of like building new things versus supporting existing customers versus supporting the infrastructure behind Sentry. Um, really tough to do when uh, it's basically it was just me and then my co-founder is a technical designer. So,
1: so uh, Isaac, does, does this sound at all familiar to you, or <laughs> is your story a bit different?
3: Uh, it's not it's not that different. I. Um... I like created npm in two thousand nine and um, kind of was a big part of the node community for a long time obviously it's sort of the the thing that you do when you're doing node and by the end of two thousand thirteen i had it had been my side project for a, a little around you know around four years, and it was still running on um, running on donated infrastructure and uh, uh, just my side project while i was while I was running the node project at Joyant And um, it, uh, it just kind of grew to the point where that, that approach no longer worked. We had about two months of like, I, I joke that we had one nine of uptime and it wasn't in the first digit, like it wasn't in the tens place. And, you know, stuff would, stuff would fall over and I would start getting text messages and emails and tweets and angry GitHub notifications. And like eight hours later, I'd wake up and actually deal with it. And I had some help from you know from some some very uh, very noble souls who who basically said, look, you can either start paying for this thing or take it somewhere else because it's just we we can't do this for free anymore. Around the same time, I was getting a lot of feedback about it from from people working at at pretty big companies. Uh, some of them saying, look, we we really want to use this thing, but a we can't trust it because it falls over all the time, and b um, you know it's all open source. We need to we need a thing to host our our private code, and all the alternatives are kind of annoying to use. All the alternatives are kind of uh, uh, inconvenient compared to how easy it is to to manage open source code with this tool. So um, that seemed like a happy coincidence of events there. And uh, we raised uh, some money from from True Ventures and a couple of angels and started the company at the beginning of two thousand and fourteen. And it really was it really was a shift from like, you know it, it wasn't a a business with paying customers that I was really only working on part-time. It was something that I was like doing literally the minimum minimum required effort because I was so busy with node. And it just was sort of falling into disrepair, uh, which was really very, very sad uh, to see. So um, yeah, it seemed like the the obvious choice was to start a company around it so that I could justify. Hiring some, you know, some full-time dedicated ops people, and and actually build some products to to address the needs of um, companies that were using it to to manage their JavaScript modules. Since then, uh, we've we've grown to about 25 people now. We have um, we have two products, and they're they're growing pretty well. Um, it's it's a ton of work running running a company, but at least it's it's actually full-time, you know, front and center work. So that's been sort of nice to be able to focus on it.
0: Both of you touched a little bit on your projects being open source um, and that it was important to you. Did you think at all about how that might affect um, running a business while having an open source product and whether it might be more difficult?
3: Um, so I think for, for NPM, it was, it's always been pretty clear to me that like, the client itself, the, the CLI program is not what people are ever going to pay for they're willing to pay for the service that that enables the workflows that they're using, but there's no benefit really to not having the NPM client be open source, or even most of our infrastructure, because really what they're paying for is access to this gigantic community and a service that's always going to be up and running. So if it was easy, I would have been able to do it without starting a company, and I think that that's sort of the thing that puts us in that in that sort of strategic mm-hmm. position in order to run a successful business. I have really no worries whatsoever about it being open source. And honestly, the the investors that I've talked to, um, you know, some of them get it and some of them don't. And the ones that don't are never going to be a good partner anyway. So I, I don't really care too much.
0: How about you, David?
2: Yeah, it's kind of the same uh, on our side. So like Sentry is an infrastructure service. A lot of people run it themselves. I would say they're not overly thrilled with that idea. But um, due to the nature of data that Sentry works with, it's kind of a requirement that we work on premise but we get enough small businesses and even some larger ones that use our SaaS service. So it was kind of a natural fit um, and it's, it's really allowed us to balance it out. And the way we kind of see open source is that it just, it's just a thing that's allowed Sentry to be accessible without us having a massive company backing a product. Um, and I think that was especially great early on in the project's life cycle. And today it's like, um, in terms of like marketing and other aspects, it's, it's very valuable for us to continue to grow um, honestly, for us, we think of a, it a lot like a kind of a traditional freemium model. We don't offer free accounts on our SaaS service, but, you know, if you want to use Sentry for free, you can just run the same code that powers our SaaS.
0: So Sentry uh, and NPM both started while you were at companies or like developed a lot while you were, while you were at Discuss and Isaac was at Joint. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the relationship between the company and the project? Did Having those projects help the company that you were at? Were they involved at all or not?
2: Yeah, so uh, at Discuss, um, like I mentioned, the first month I was there, we kind of kicked off Sentry. We kind of had the, I would say, happy accident that it was already pre licensed because we just built on additional code and that the founders of Discuss uh, were totally on board with open source. Um, so I was able to get some help building out Sentry for our needs at Discuss, but I made a pretty clear point to never just build let's just call it like random features on top of Sentry during my time at Discuss. Uh, I would work on it in the evenings and things like that. Um, but we'd also build out features that we needed to make it better. Um, and I think the company saw a lot of value in that. Um, not just Sentry, but in an open source in general. It helped us on recruiting fronts. Um, it kind of gave some, I guess, confidence to the technology team that what we were doing was useful. And I think in general, it was a good situation for both sides. And today, like, still very good relationship with the founders of Discuss,
1: And there was no tension when you left because if it's just a recruiting tool, like uh, you have to imagine that that recruiting tool kind of goes away if now there's a Sentry company and they're not the Sentry company, right?
2: Yeah, and I mean, that's how the world works. It's just like when employees go away, you can no longer use them as like recruiting tools. Um, there was no tension that I'm aware of uh, when I left and I, like, I still keep in touch um, very closely with um, at least one of the founders. Um, and on good terms with the other, so. Uh,
3: as far as NPM and Joint, um, I, I actually create, I think I got the job at Joint in part because I had written NPM. Um, Not in part, it, I mean in whole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically basically Ryan Dahl was like, hey, come come work on Node. Uh, I need somebody to help with this thing that Joint is paying me to do. And I I happened to be jobless at the time when he said that, so it worked out. But uh, uh, no, I mean, I always maintained that NPM was my thing and not Joyent's thing. And um, honestly, I think that there's, I think it's sort of tricky for, um, I, I don't want to speak for Joyent, obviously, I, I'm, you know, it's a whole different company than it was when I got hired, and uh, it was a whole different company when I left than when I got hired. It's a whole different company now. Um, but I think for a lot of the time, anyway, the, um, the view of NPM was that it was sort of this thing that's attached to Node. And, um, maybe it's just like egotistical, but my, my point of view has always kind of been node is the thing that enables NPM. Um, and I was, I was mostly trying to keep node going good and, and, and working on it because I think it's important for, uh, for the broader JavaScript community. And I think that NPM is a central part of that, you know, obviously I'm biased. This is, this is my pet project, uh, and, and was my, my labor of love long before it was my company, but there was, there was no, um, there was no bad blood as I was leaving. Um, I, I honestly don't think they really cared that much. It's not like they ever put a hired people to work on it or anything like that, and it was never seen as a joint product. There was some discussion early on, like you know, why don't you just sell npm to Joint, and then we'll you know put a team on it. And I think we were several orders of magnitude away from one another in like what kind of value we assigned to this thing. So it just was mm. not likely to work out. Um, and I, I don't, again, I, I don't say that in any kind of disparaging way towards joint, they kind of saw it as a thing that enables node. And so they didn't want to, you know, they weren't going to throw a huge team of of 50 people behind it or anything. Whereas I kind of saw this as uh, a product that works really well, but it has to be run in a very particular way. And joint being first and foremost, uh, operating systems and, and uh, uh, infrastructure type of company, I think just kind of didn't have the right sort of DNA to, to be that that supporter for that, for this particular product, you know, and again, I, i I really have nothing disparaging to say about them. It's just, um, there are different types of companies and different types of teams and different skill sets. And it just was not really ever going to be a good fit. I don't think. Um, so that's why I, that's a big part of why I made the decision to move, um, or to, to leave. We also explored the option of, um, Putting npm in a foundation or creating a foundation for it, and really just focusing on the kind of community open source aspects of it. And the the reason why I didn't go that route is that it's it's basically the same amount of, you know, it works out to being about the same amount of work for fundraising to um, to create a foundation as to get a startup off the ground. Right? You you still have to go and make a pitch to a bunch of people and get them to put money in in the in the foundation. The difference is that there's a different set of motivations and different sorts of companies that put it in for different reasons. A VC is putting money into something that they think is a going to be a profitable enterprise that they're either going to, you know, they're going to get a, a positive return on their investment, right? A um, a large company generally invests in a foundation because the the success of that foundation is in their interests. You know, they they, let's say they depend on Linux and they want to make sure that Linux keeps being healthy because they use it so much. And so they're going to put some money in the pot to kind of keep this thing alive. Another reason why they tend to do that is because it's a nice little, you know, it's a nice marketing boon. You see, oh, you know, IBM supports WordPress. IBM must not be so bad because I love WordPress. And just kind of because of the the sort of background and very developer centric role that NPM occupies and the fact that I hadn't spent four years marketing it, I'd spent four years making it something that people could use. Um, Developers loved it but there was no real buzz around it and there wasn't like this there wasn't a huge marketing benefit to having IBM put a bunch of money in NPM right so they or or any company for that matter so setting up a foundation for it would have been you know at least as much work and not as much benefit and then getting a foundation to say look like the real the real challenge here is that we need a private service and it needs to be a thing that people pay for because if you don't pay for a thing that's guarding your privacy then how can you trust it so, um, you know, we needed to build a, a, a business around it anyway and doing that in the, under the, um, under the auspices of a foundation is, is just a much more challenging thing to kind of figure out how to fit. So, yeah, I mean, in the end we're, we're, we're still on good terms. We're actually still a joint customer for, for we use, we use a couple of their services and, um, you know, obviously we use node very heavily. We're part of the node foundation. It's, it's all, it's all generally peaceful and good.
0: One last question. Was there any concern around um, if you you're talking about foundations versus businesses that being a business and a startup, especially taking venture, might be perceived as being at odds with the what the community wanted or just changing your incentives?
3: Yeah, I think that there is always going to be some um some concern around incentives anytime you're dealing with people and the the less well you know them, the the more concerned you're gonna be about their incentives. Um you know, when somebody's your friend, it's it's a little more. You can kind of have a little bit more of that, just sort of, you know, natural primate trust uh, that comes from being in the same tribe. But um, in general, there are some really interesting things about the JavaScript community in particular. Like they they, the JavaScript community in particular is pretty pro business, and they're pretty open minded about things like that. It's a it's a sort of interesting melting pot because almost every application touches JavaScript, touches the front end at some point, right? So you have places that are, you know, you have developers who think of themselves as a Rubyist or a Python developer, or a Java developer, but they still need to use JavaScript. And so there's a sort of, uh, a very sort of um, liberal attitude about a lot of these things. And I think also just sort of the, the place in history that we are um, made it a little bit of an easier sell, you know, WordPress already sort of crossed a lot of these bridges for us. Um, there's a bunch of other examples of relatively healthy open source projects that um, that were in some way tied to a, uh, to a company or to a foundation or to some kind of hodgepodge of a foundation made up of several companies. And so, um, having a profit motive in uh, for a lot of people, I think actually makes it easier for them to see what your incentives are. Right? They they can look at npm and say, "This is the product you're selling." Okay, I get it. Um, if I need that product, I'll, I'll maybe come consider it. But um, I can see that you're not trying to sell my email address. You're not trying to sell like you know advertising spa- space on the command line or you know weird tracking beacons or whatever. Like it's all open source. It's all very clear what we're doing, and we try to be as transparent as possible, which I think is key when you're interacting with an open source community.
1: David, what what are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, Century obviously has a very different community. How did they respond to the uh, the venture announcements?
2: Actually, uh, so the venture announcement, uh, it's all been like, thanks, yeah, good luck, it's awesome. You have a few people, uh, we'll call them the Hacker News crowd, who always question everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, in general, it's been good. Uh, and like, we actually like the reason we kicked off the SaaS fundamentally was people wanted to pay for stuff, and I think that mentality easily caters to VC backed company. Uh, the biggest response we got from people was like, oh, I hope Sentry doesn't change. And this is just often from people who are more a little bit like ignorant about how businesses work. Um, of course, things are going to change, but it doesn't necessarily mean change is bad. Um, we're very different now than we were a few years ago, mostly the product's significantly better. And we're able to do a lot more. And we're able to make it a lot more accessible. Um, but you have a lot of the the, the negative Nancy's that are gonna be like, oh, you know, Sentry charges like 10 bucks a month now. They're going to start charging like new relic prices. Um, so we had a little bit of that, but from our actual customers and our actual users, everybody was thrilled.
1: That's great. Man. I like where this is going a lot. Uh, we're going to take a short break and then when we come back, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how these projects make money. Uh, and I think I'm just going to ask outright, you know, how much. They both make as as (laughs) in salary. (laughs) No, I'm not gonna do that. (laughs) We'll be right back after the break. Hey
4: everyone, Adam Stekoviac here, editor in chief of Changelog, and I want to tell you about our cloud server of choice, lino.com. Head to lino.com slash RFC. Get an SSE server running in seconds. Plan started just ten bucks a month. And when I say our cloud server of choice, what I mean is that all of changelog is hosted on linode everything we do at changelog.com is on a linode server what i'd like you to do is go to linode.com rfc pick a plan pick a distro pick a location and start your server today use our promo code rfc20 for a 20 dollars credit linode.com rfc
1: And we're back from the break. Uh, now let's let's get into sort of how how y'all make money. So how do Sentry and npm the companies uh, make money real quickly, and then and then we'll kind of go from there.
2: Yeah. So Sentry uh, is a simple SaaS service. We actually have a kind of a tiered business model. So nearly all of our revenue comes from SaaS, um, and more than our SaaS customers, we have free open source users. And also, those free open source users happen to be the largest companies. So there's a there's some trade-offs to be made there. Um, longer term, we're looking at how we monetize the enterprise uh, without creating what I call crippleware. Um, that is like an open core product, we're we're trying to prove that we can uh, be successful without that. Um, and I think we can. So we've started exploring some of that, um, but fundamentally, the SaaS is what's gotten us off the ground.
3: Uh, for npm, we. Um... We have two main products. One is NPM Enterprise, which is a, a standalone registry that you can uh, spin up really easily inside of your uh, your company's infrastructure, and it integrates with uh, Saml or LDAP or whatever um, special Snowflake authorization authentication system you might have. And then we have uh, a private modules SaaS system that you can use for uh, for organizations and teams. And what we found. Um, we shipped, uh, uh, we shipped private modules for individuals. And then about six months later, added the, the, all of the organizational and team features. And what's really interesting is um, you, can, you can see kind of from the uh, the registration graphs and like the new customer signup graphs that like the individual product was not the product, right? Like that's not what people actually want. Um, the folks who are willing to pay are paying for organization and team features. And um, that's about evenly split between our SaaS and enterprise products right now. And in, in all of our early customer conversations where we we're trying to figure out exactly what we should go build, what we found was about half of the people said, oh no, 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 we're we're never gonna be able to put our code anywhere other than in our infrastructure. And uh, multi-tenancy is absolutely a no-go for us. And then the other half were like, there is no way that we're gonna install a thing. Like we only want a SaaS, we only use SaaS. So it's it's kind of interesting how that's that's borne out in practice almost like perf- as if that was a perfectly representative sample because it was almost exactly 50-50. And um as far as the uh, the open source users we have about we have about 4 million people using our service on a regular basis, 4 million humans uh, by by anybody's by by several like approximate measures that you can you can try and figure out it's um, about what it works out to, but uh, much much fewer than that are actually paying users, which is which is sort of fine. I think there's actually something sort of um, uh, morally good about you know if you're if you're using something at a company and you're using it for proprietary code and that proprietary code is going to go make money, like you should be paying for a service that sort of supports the open source community that's that's doing things that are ultimately benefiting all of
0: us. Are there any other companies that you're inspired by? Um, I know that. NPM gets compared a lot to GitHub. Um, some of what you're describing, this century reminds me of Travis a little bit. Are there other like models that you're going after?
3: I think um, GitHub is the one that we we definitely get compared to the most. It's I mean we've we've basically cribbed our our business model almost exactly from them. The funny thing is actually our our orgs product um, we've we've always charged per seat because it just seemed like it was the most the easiest thing to reason about. Even though that was a departure from how GitHub did it, where you you pay you paid per um, Per private repo that you have on GitHub, and frequently the the most frequent pushback or complaint we got about it was, why can't you just charge us just like GitHub? And then GitHub changed their pricing model to be per seat, <laughs> and now we do charge you just like GitHub. It's great. Um, the uh, uh, the other company that I, I think is a pretty interesting or, or inspiring model is uh, is WordPress um, or Automatic, To be more specific. Um, just because they've taken something that was a, a vibrant open source community and really have, in some very creative ways, have spun it into a, a extremely successful business.
2: Yeah. So for Century, early on, um, we straight up copy pasted somebody else's kind of like pricing model, and I think they put about as much thought into it as we did. Um, so we're still uh, working on fixing that. Um, but in terms of other companies, like I actually think GitLab is very interesting. Um, they are. In a way, similar to Sentry, whereas the entire product is open source. Um, it's licensed very differently. Um, but they try to ship both. They have an enterprise offering, um, and then they have the SaaS service. Uh, you can you can interact and, in theory, contribute to uh, both of their code bases. Um, and it's very compelling. But, yeah, just like NPM, we we very much look at kind of other tools and um, developer services in this space, uh, GitHub being one of the big ones. Uh, We also look at a lot of, like, the infrastructure tooling. So um, how does New Relic price? And actually, we look at those more so, like, this is not what we want to do. But there is a lot of, like, variance in how things work. Um, Because often in the open source space, you end up with a kind of support and services model. And and I think I can probably speak for both of us um, in saying that that's absolutely not what we want to do. And those companies are, like, elastic and... um, Potentially Docker, depending on uh, which direction they go, um, and then a lot of the older like database companies.
0: It's funny to hear both of you say that you basically started by like copying someone else's model and and then tweaked it as you went along. Um, a lot of people that are I've talked to who are you know have open source projects, they're interested in monetizing them. They're sort of like, I have no idea where to start this. I have no idea like what a business looks like, and I don't have any great models for this. Um, how did you both learn how to like? figure out how to run a business was it just sort of like watching other companies and and learning
3: um i i don't i don't actually know how to run a business um i uh that's not exactly true it's um you know you 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 kind of you just sort of have to like very aggressively learn as you go um i think that there is as far as pricing model just to get to your your first question about um copying and pasting somebody else's pricing model and then tweaking it a little bit um, You know, honestly, I think that's kind of a sensible way to go. I know it's sort of a um, this is sort of a controversial opinion, but I I sort of think like the more time you spend worrying about if your price, worrying about your pricing model, like chances are that's time that you should have spent going to market. And it it definitely pays to kind of stop and do some slow thinking about it. And it's it's been really interesting to hear about some of the. some of the thought that went into GitHub's original pricing model and now how they've changed it for their organization's SaaS, right? They were, any, any pricing model is applying a tax to some particular behavior. So they're, you know the the original, if you sort of look at it that way, charging per private repo is saying um, there's, a, there's a tax on the namespace in your private namespace. Um, and the bigger that namespace gets, the more things that are in it, the more you pay us you can have as many people as you want involved in those projects and so that was obviously a you know sort of a play to make sure that they're growing their their user base as aggressively as possible once you have a big user base you know once you have a big community growing that community bigger is not going to benefit you more um and i mean at this point github is is probably close to nearing saturation of all the the open source development that work that happens on earth right GitLab's is obviously a big one. There's also stash. There are alternatives, but I mean, GitHub is the one that is, is sort of the dominant player in that space. And, um, and so the benefit to them of, of having that be the tax is actually probably, you know, was, was no longer the best thing for them to be doing. Um, on the other hand, if you say we're going to charge per per user in your, in your paid organization, now the tax is on having a bunch of people who are not participating in the open source world. So, Participation in open source remains free, but um, you want an organization to be on your product, and you want them to be using it in in the same way that it's used in open source, right? So you don't want you don't want a company to come in and say like, gosh, you know, we don't want to have to upgrade our plan, so let's just stuff more stuff in this one mega repo that has all of our code in it, because that's just not how it's done in open source, you know. And so applying the tax that way ended up having some weird sort of perverse incentives. But I mean, that being said, like GitHub put some, they threw something together, they thought about it for a little while, and then they went to market with it and saw how it did and saw what the impacts were. And I think that like, you can really easily get yourself into decision, into like analysis paralysis um, around that decision and, and avoid ever building something useful, right? And so, yes, there is a lot of science and a lot of art around pricing models and stuff. but you know, just whatever. It's fine. Like figure out a way to charge it, work out a model that shows you getting profitable eventually. Um, and then see how it does. I think it's, it's sort of, uh, one of those things where like the less thinking you do about it almost in in some cases, the better.
2: Yeah. And I think, um, from my side, the best advice I have, uh, is make money on whatever you're doing. Um, this is not my first kind of attempt at doing something on the side. Um, and the lesson I learned each time was if I have to keep shelling out money to keep things running, I'm not going to want to keep it going, no matter how interesting the product is. Um, so from a, from day zero, um, we've never put money into Sentry. Um, we bootstrapped it. We got sponsorship from a couple companies, Heroku and SoftLayer, both like hosting companies. And then from there, we were always cash flow positive. Now, we weren't paying ourselves any money at the time, but that didn't matter because we were employed elsewhere. And so that's really allowed us to take the time to figure out the business side. And and that's not saying we figured it out, but by no means are we kind of like done. Um, but it really allowed us to grow more organically and especially for um, open source um, and anybody who's asking those questions. Um, it's going to be a more like individual or side project-esque kind of thing. And I think that's a very good way to go about it. Like see where you can cut costs, see where you can get free sponsorship, for example, like. Century gives away uh, free service to open source projects, um, and I think there's a lot of companies that will help you out and like really help you get off the ground. And that, now that varies because like clearly for a SaaS service, it's a little bit more straightforward. But I, I definitely think looking at what other people do and how they've approached problems is the most valuable thing you can do.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm incredibly jealous about the the luxury of of you know having having something that was cash flow positive from day one. Um, we, we pulled the business together around this, this ship that was more or less on fire at the time and uh, have not been cash flow positive. But, you know, it's, it's improving. And don't worry, the first
2: thing uh, when you take VC uh, funding is to burn it all. So <laughs> we've since fixed that. Do
0: You think that um, there's like all these, I don't know, sometimes they say the term open source business. People are thinking about like, I don't know, really like old school enterprise companies. And then I look at like Century or NPM and I'm like, oh, these are like the cool new shiny open source businesses. Um and I don't know whether it's just because y'all are just like newer businesses that they feel shinier. But I've been trying to pin down whether there's like something that's actually changing in the way that people think about open source businesses, whether it's maybe like more SaaS than enterprise stuff right now or or something. Are there any sort of like trends that you're seeing around like what an open source business is now versus like in the 90s or something?
3: I think the biggest difference is that the internet exists now, right? Like it's, and it's, it's a real thing. Like people do things on the internet. They have, they have SaaS systems. They, they do stuff online. It's, it's less of an assumption that what you're buying is the kind of unlocked version of the, the crappy open source thing. Um, what, what I think, um, I think you called uh, crippleware. you know, and you see that a lot in, uh, uh databases and um and to to some extent in operating systems traditionally but um you know the the real value in in an open source world and the, the value in an in an internet connected world is in communities and in not having to um not having to have the the team work in your company to to build a lot of these things so you know i mean we use a ton of sasses at, at npm we use uh we use AWS, we use joint, we use, um, we use fastly. Like it it is, it, it would be completely impossible to, to build this business without leveraging all of those same things. And so I think when we, when we imagine the, the sort of stodgy old enterprise companies, um, even, even the stodgy old enterprise companies, I mean, they're, they're increasingly either selling services or selling very large, uh, very large support contracts, right? Because if you're, if you're somebody like like IBM or Ericsson and you're selling something to uh to like a humongous like multinational oil company or or the Department of Defense or like you know the the water and power of Europe or like I don't know what like these just like massive massive deals for huge huge infrastructure projects like okay yeah that still happens right that's going to keep happening but that's not really like I think when we, when we talk about open source business, we're, we're talking about a handful of different things that are somewhat dependent on what type of open source thing we're talking about, right? I mean, totally. uh, NPM is uh, NPM's a business built around a workflow, which has been pioneered in, the, in an open source community. So we're not really selling our open source thing. What we're selling is some tools to make it easier to use this open source workflow which is a little bit of like a subtle thing to wrap your head around i think Sentry is you know in a similar kind of thing it's an open source product you can use it you can have it um what you're really selling is the service and that's a thing that it's like yes of course i will pay for that because the alternative is i pay even more for it
0: yeah there's uh, even the term open source business i think is not really actually a term (laughs) it's like a business that might have a component To it as open source, but how that is monetized or whether it's even relevant is to the business itself Um, seems to vary a lot. A lot of companies now that are, you know, saying they're an open source business or they open source a certain aspect of their product, um, and they do it for recruiting and they do it um, because they're trying to build a platform and attract all these developers to and whatever. Um, And and those things are, I think, very different from what npm does or what Sentry does
2: yeah i think the um kind of the other thing that i agree with this like whole shift that makes it more accessible um cloud services fundamentally but i think the thing that really would make you think that npm or Sentry like these hot new open source kind of ideas is because of the market that we're going after so both of us focus on the developer market um, not not necessarily directly the enterprise market. We go through developers to get to the enterprise market. And that's a significant change. Like that never used to exist. Um it never used to be that a developer at a, a big bank could say run like NPM or Sentry internally um and really drive the decision that we're gonna pay for this. It used to always be passed like top down. And I think that's the major change that we're seeing, and that's why they're um, are companies like us, and are going to be more companies like us uh, going forward?
0: I think that's a really great point. and it kind of coincides with a lot of other things around just more like bottom up everything instead of top down
3: also the you mentioned you know you're not sure if open source business is even a real term that does not stop anybody from using it. Um, yeah. <laughs> it It absolutely is a thing that people say and 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 even use it in kind of ludicrous ways, like how can you open sourceify your business, which is a oh god <laughs> a, a real sentence I've heard a real human being utter um, and and it's it's challenging, right? I mean, not every business makes sense and and the like the role that open source plays in some businesses might not make sense, right? Like there's a lot to be said for proprietary software. There's a lot of proprietary software in the world and and you know we use a lot of it. but I think um, Increasingly, what's happening is like where almost anything that you would give to a customer is probably mostly open source and anything that you're going to charge for is probably behind, you know, running on your own infrastructure anyway, because it's just easier to build a business around that, I think.
0: All right, we're going to take a short break and when we get back, we'll dig a little bit more into the open source side of things.
4: Hey everyone, Adam Stokowiak here, editor-in-chief of Changelog, and if you're looking to hire the best freelance talent out there, head to Toptal.com, that's dot com. hire the top 3% of freelance talent out there, the world's best developers and designers, white glove service, risk-free trial, that means that if you're not happy, you do not pay. You can hire a developer, you can hire a designer, you can hire both. If you need to scale your team, this is the place for you. To get started, head to toptal.com. That's T-O-P-T-A-L.com. Tell them Adam from the ChangeLog sent you. They'll take great care of you. If you'd like a more personal introduction, email me, adam at changelog.com.
0: And we're back with Isaac Schluter from NPM and David Kramer from Sentry. Uh, let's get into the open source side of things with both of your businesses. Um, so for the projects that you're stewarding um, as a company, do you think of your projects as something that the community builds and you're sort of another, another actor in that community? Um, or is it something that your company is building and then open sourcing to the community?
2: Sentry is and has never been kind of a community-built project, and we're totally okay with that. So even today, which is probably not great for a CEO, if you look at kind of the contribution graph, it's like, I wrote nearly everything. Um, and <laughs> I think this is this is valuable because it allowed uh, myself to drive the direction of the project, um, which is kind of atypical of a lot of open source projects where they, they kind of end up like this hydra going a bunch of different directions and you really have to like wrangle them in. Um, So that's been very beneficial for us. Um, That said, on the other side, what we have done is we really pushed a lot of like, here's how it's extensible and here's how you can integrate or send data and things like that. And what we saw early on was um, a lot of people were interested in that side. It's much more accessible than a complex infrastructure project is. Um, It's much more appropriate for their situation. So what that means is like, we started building the project around the Python community Um, somebody from that community went and started working at a Rails company. And they're like, you know, it'd be really nice if I could kind of send my Ruby data uh, to Sentry. And it's like, oh, we have an API for that. And so they built uh, our first Ruby client. Um, Somebody else is like, hey, it'd be cool to be able to use like GitHub to create issues from Sentry. So they went and they built the GitHub integration. And that's really where a lot of our power has come over the years, which is for us especially, that's been a very compelling story because Uh, While we uh, might be very good at what we do, we definitely are not experts in every language and every platform, and we barely know what kind of tools exist in the ecosystem anymore. So kind of opening it up to allow contributions where contributions make more sense has been really good. Um, But then we also we do now and then get bug fixes from companies Um, like back in the day uh, when um, this big gaming company started using Sentry, they started contributing like these really compelling performance patches that were very specific to their needs, but were very interesting. Um, fast forward today, and we, we still have that same idea. Like, uh, Square has recently started contributing a bunch of, like, small fixes here and there whenever they kind of run into any issues. And often what that is, is it's because they're running something in a slightly different situation. Um, maybe in this case, they're using MySQL instead of uh, Postgres database. And they have a very specific issue that comes up. Like, we'd probably fix it for them. But the fact that it is open source and the fact that it is accessible um, really just brings in the contributions. But they're never anything that's really driving any kind of product features. And that's actually worked out extremely well for us. And I think it it helps because it caters more towards a classical business rather than a big open source uh, ecosystem.
1: I'm interested to hear Isaac's take now since it, it, NPM is literally an ecosystem. So.
3: so um that's always been a little bit uh a little bit interesting with the npm client because it was um uh for a very long time you know there's there's a couple of different things to talk about when we talk about like our participation in open source um there's the npm project itself right the the cli project there is the massive number of um open source modules which are published and shared and installed uh, on the npm registry and then there's um kind of the the broader open source JavaScript community, which sort of includes node and react and ember and and all the rest, the Npm client is it's open source it always has been, but for a very long time it was like a, a essentially single author open source project, which is um, very simple governance style right it was the, the governance was I make all the changes, and if you have an idea, I'll either take your pull request or not, but it was essentially just run by me, and that's. That's since changed significantly. Um, the, uh, we have a team of people working on it. there are, There are three, three individuals working on it today, and they do quite a bit of um, you know quite a bit of their of their actual day-to-day work is spent on communication with our with our open source users. Um, we We take issues on the on the open source GitHub issues list. They have a semi-regular call that they do that they that they do as an open hangout where people can sort of suggest things for their agenda to discuss for that week. And they do, um, regular releases with release notes and, and, you know, are very responsive to the community, but, and they do that, um, that transparency has increased, has caused a, a, an increase in the number of pull requests and, and, um, the quality of bug reports that they get, but also it's, um, They've also been working on making the code base itself a little bit more accessible, which um, which is a, a big and somewhat overlooked challenge in any open source project. I think like it's I, I think sort of the the social structures around most open source projects make it so that you, you never really address that because all of the people who are working on it obviously are the ones who are capable of working on it, who are not intimidated by the code base and who are who think it's totally fine whereas newcomers can can look at this you know just the way that it's sort of structured and the the way that the architecture isn't really well explained and say gosh this seems kind of hard i don't know if i really want to get involved and so they don't get involved and so they don't get a voice and so it never changes I, i've seen this in almost literally almost every single open source project i've ever been connected to uh npm node um the php core project the the linux kernel although the linux kernel probably does a better job of this particular aspect than than most projects. It's still pretty daunting though, right? Um, you, can, you can approach it in a couple of different ways by like breaking things up into smaller modules, breaking things up into sort of sub projects that people can contribute or be a part of. But it's still just a, an ongoing, difficult unsolved problem to, to make a code base accessible. But uh, in terms of our, our, you know, our role in the community, that's been a little bit more challenging. Um, you know, I, I feel a personal weight of responsibility to make sure that this community is a functional community and to make sure that our our users are able to use the service and not be, you know, in, in too great a conflict with one another and, and sort of able to actually get what they expect out of it. And as the community's grown, we've gone through several different stages where different sorts of governance approaches have have made more or less sense. In the very early days, actually, Michael wrote the first version of the registry, which had no authorization or authentication whatsoever. It was just like, "You want to publish a thing? All right. You probably know what you're doing if you know what this thing is." And uh, yeah, that that didn't <laughs> it didn't last very long, right? That had like, that had people uh, sort of taking advantage of it almost from day one, and so we sort of scrambled to uh, add some add some authorization in there. But it was the the simplest possible thing, um, and now we're kind of grown up to to the stage where we have private code where we have teams and you can specify which team has access to which modules to read access write access and so on also as as a community grows you know you go from the state where literally everybody has met everybody else you know where everybody was one or two degrees of separation from each other to the point now where there's more npm users than in some major american cities and so there's it requires a different sort of uh, policy it requires different practices in terms of uh having things more well documented and and a little bit more regimented in in how we approach certain types of conflicts and you know while at the same time while on the one hand it's it's a little bit troubling to have a a for-profit company or or any entity really in this in sort of a position of authority and control um at the same time you know anarchy doesn't really serve anybody it, if anarchy just means that the loudest voices have the most control, then that's really not any better, right? So I feel like there, there does need to be some sort of, um, some sort of governance structure where an, in, a body with a dedicated interest in keeping this community healthy is in charge of keeping this community healthy, right? Otherwise, it doesn't happen, um, and you, you end up with tragedy of the commons very quickly. At the same time, we try very hard not to abuse our position and to be as transparent as possible. So... Um, some of the things we do there we, we have a, a support team which if you if you email support at npmjs.com, you will talk to them um, they're They're not there to do your node homework. they are there to you know resolve issues that you might have with the service to if you if there's no other outlet that that sort of makes sense. It's sort of the uh, the front lines of our, our support for the community. We also have uh, uh, you know a lot of a lot of time and effort and, and money and energy spent on um, Keeping the service running, which is sort of the the core thing that keeps the community healthy, and um, you know we try very hard not to abuse our position as much as possible. Um, We we are trying to run a business, but the the actual purpose of this business is to kind of keep the the community alive and running and healthy, right? My my main goal with starting a company is to keep the npm registry running forever. I I think that that's in the interest of most of our users, and um, and so I, I I can sleep okay at night because of that. But you know nobody's Nobody's happy if if two people want the same thing or are, are fighting over something like the one that you don't agree with is going to be very upset at you about it. And there's sometimes just no way around that.
0: You think it's possible for a company to actually be like in a community or like part of a community? Or is it always sort of this like outside sort of like patron, I guess, that is kind of facilitating the rest of the community? Because in some ways, like talking about like protecting, like say, the NPM community or whatever, um, it's sort of different. Like, I mean, do, for either of you, like, do your employees represent, like, century? Do they represent NPM when they're communicating within the project? Or is it, like, they represent themselves? I
3: think that, um, you know, all too often we, we talk about a company as if it's a single entity. And despite what, like, politicians and super PACs say, companies aren't people. They're corporations are not people. They're They're legal entities with interest, but they're just sort of, A bunch of people working together for some kind of common interest right that's that's essentially what a company is they're they're a a social fiction designed to make money and that's not a bad thing um, inherently but it it does sometimes uh it can it can get things a little bit twisted when you start saying well the company says this or the company says that it's like well no you say that you're just hiding behind this weird logo and so the the brand of npm i think is is very strong and we like I said, I I think that there's a, I have a strong, a a large personal interest in continuing that and and making sure that we're a, a force of good. And I think mostly the, you know, that kind of can very easily become a virtuous cycle or a vicious cycle, depending on how you spin it. Um, most of the people who work for me have as far as I can tell, um, you know, also consider themselves part of this community individually. And, would continue to be part of it if they stopped working here, right? It's just that they are, this is the job that they're doing and this is the, you know, they, they are doing it because they believe in it and, and, um, and also because we pay them. But, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of weird. I think frequently where, where it tends to get into trouble or where you tend to get into trouble is when you try to have a company sort of pretend that they're part of a community when it's pretty clear that they're not. You know, if if they're if they're saying like, look, we are we're using Node, we're a part of this community, and so therefore we should, you know, you should like us because you like Node. And it's like, well, maybe maybe I don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe I don't agree with what you're doing. Uh and I, I think it's actually kind of rare that there are companies like NPM or Automatic or Sentry where there is a they're not just you know, not only are they just kind of involved with this community in a sort of abstract sense their products and services literally depend upon it and their success depends upon the success of the community and the people working at the company consider themselves part of the community.
0: David, how about Sentry? Are the employees Sentry employees or are they themselves?
3: It's very different for Sentry
2: um, just because we're not a community. Uh, NPM has tons and tons of users and they interact heavily with kind of their own, their own code and their own, their own projects through NPM. Whereas Sentry is like you're using our product, like we build the product and I very much believe that everyone at Century is acting on behalf of Century, but as themselves. So their interests are Century's interests. That is the company and the project. We think of them as kind of one and the same, but it's not a community as a whole. It's very much like, hey, we're all of the, mind, the same mindset. We all want to build this thing. This is our singular voice in how this thing is going to be built.
0: Does this affect how you think about um, recruiting? Like, Are you looking for people that are... I mean, obviously probably people that have already been involved with Sentry or or care about it or think about it. Um, but do you think that like sort of like strengthens that unified voice if you're hiring someone who is already involved with the project and already feels like they're a part of it?
2: It absolutely does. Um so we've I think we're a slightly non-traditional company, at least in the, the VC funded startup world in that the entire team is engineers right now and most of the team has contributed to Sentry or run Sentry or at least use Sentry. Um, before joining the company. Um, so it helps that a lot of people, it's not even a vested interest, it's just they had a genuine interest in Sentry before uh, coming onto the team. And that helps a lot with like, how do we build the product? How do we think about the product? How are each um, of the members of the team individually involved in the product? Um, so it, it's been very valuable for us to have that. I would say that everybody has a different idea for sort of, the the small branches of how Century should work. But everybody's of the mindset that, like, this is super valuable what we're doing. We agree with the direction we're going. How can we contribute to make that, like, a reality? But it is, like, I think there's different trade-offs and different challenges for kind of a community-driven project versus uh, I kind of consider us more like a a BDFL situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's absolutely value in the community. And I think it's, like, something we're going to explore um, as time goes on. But we'll see. So far, uh, what we've done has worked well for just building a singular project.
0: Important difference. Um, how do your investors think about the whole, like having to work with communities and um, or just outside users that might have a say in your projects but aren't actually part of the company?
2: I actually, um, speaking for Century, like I'm not sure the investors really consider it much. I think a lot of the trust, like when we talk to them, uh, the the mentality is like, you've done very very well to get where you are. Whatever you're doing must be right. Mm. How do we push it to the next level? Um, so I think there's a lot of um, explicit trust even there. Um, and I, and this this might be very different for npm because again we are a very like focused single project. Like I wrote most of the server itself, and pretty much everything is now built by you know us the company. But it definitely just comes down to like you guys are clearly the experts at doing what you're doing um, there must be something that's correct there you know we're not going to tell you what to do since realistically you should know better we're 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 betting on you at the end of the day
3: yeah I think as far as um, the uh, uh, community interactions and advice from our investors they I, I don't know I don't I don't want to say they don't care I mean they're certainly very excited that we have so many users but you know and and they both of our investors are you know if you look at their their portfolio companies, what they tend to go for are companies that have some kind of a network effect where the more people use this thing, the more other people will end up using this thing. You know, they're, they're true is in, um, automatic they're invested in a bunch of other SaaS companies, BVP, uh, they, they just saw some really big success from Twilio, uh, which just recently went public. And they're, they're sort of very focused on, uh, developer, developer led enterprise products. With some kind of a community or network effect, and open source just sort of plays to that strength really well. That being said, I mean as far as like managing the community, they don't they're not really experts in that, and they're they sort of I think they are betting on us being experts in that, and obviously, we've built this huge community, we have this huge top of funnel they're They're mostly just like concerned with how well we can sort of turn those eyeballs into dollars, so to speak, to uh, fall back on awful parlance.
0: It's funny hearing both of your. I think it's important hearing both of your experiences um, because they are very different types of projects, and the way that you'll run them and monetize them and um, and like manage the community is just naturally really different. And I think it just speaks again to like not every open source project is the same, and um, it's almost like weird that we use this term that sort of like tries to encompass like all these different cultures where like actually each one is quite different. Do you think that the Building businesses like these is different from building other types of startups at all. Is there anything about having the open source side of things that makes it different from any other sort of like startup wisdom that you might hear?
3: I think for npm, it kind of makes it a lot easier, right? I mean, we we have a tremendous like the one of the biggest hurdles is getting people to use your thing, and I guess it's it's a little bit uh, uh, a little bit specious to say that it's it's easier. I mean, there's we've traded one set of problems for another. But um, there, are, there are certainly some very big problems, which are fatal problems for many, many companies. And we just sort of haven't even had to worry about, which is, which is sort, of, sort of a luxury.
2: Yeah, and um, for Century, it's, it's fairly similar. So like, there's things that we could not have achieved without the open source aspects, at least not at our scale. And that's like, for us, cross-platform is a, a true fundamental strength and requirement of our product. And there's no way we could have done most of this without the community. But I think at the end of the day, outside of that, Sentry looks just like a kind of a normal company. And again, that's that's very different than NPM. But, but it's interesting for us because you actually, and we don't necessarily publicize it super well on the website, but we often get questions like, Sentry open source, do I have to pay you? Like, what does this mean? Because we list like, for example, an enterprise uh, version, which is fundamentally just a support contract. Um, so there's still a lot of challenges, I think around like conveying, what open source means to your users and how that uh, affects your business and things like that, but I think it's it's just another channel um, that you treat differently at the end of the day, and like kind of each business does that differently. And open source is just one uh, factor that influences that. There there could be many other factors depending on the industry or the type of product.
0: It's a great and on. Thanks for talking with us, David and Isaac. Really enjoyed this.
2: Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you.